Welcome to this week's episode of the Ithacan's podcast, How I See Sports. I'm Samantha Cavalli, the assistant sports editor of the Ithacan. And I'm Nick Friend. Today from VIC Radio with the Mayo and Monk Show, Brett Mayerson is here to join in on our discussion of the NFL, NBA, MLB, and more. Also on the show, Ithaca College's senior libero and defensive specialist Kayla Groman of the women's volleyball team is here to talk about their chase back to the NCAA tournament. Before we bring in Brett and Kayla, let's move on to the How I See Sports recap and preview of the week. The women's volleyball team won all three of their matches September 15th through 16th at the Bomber Invitational at Ben Light Gymnasium. All three games were won three sets to nothing. The football team got their first win of the season September 16th against St. Lawrence University. This was also Dan Swanstrom's first win as head coach in his career at Ithaca College. Freshman quarterback Wahid Nabi went 16 for 27 through 357 yards and three touchdowns in his college debut. Wahid is also the first quarterback in IC to throw more than 350 yards since 2005. The women's golf team placed first in the William Smith Invitational with a score of 668. Senior Indiana Jones placed third in the tournament for the Bombers. The women's soccer team dominated the field and defeated Wells College 8-0. The field hockey team kept their winning streak alive with a 2-1 victory over Nazareth College. Junior striker Maria McGlowan scored two late goals in the game to go ahead of the Golden Flyers. This week at Ithaca, a bit of a quiet one, but still plenty of important action as teams get acquainted with their new Liberty League foes. The women's volleyball team looks to stay red hot and continue their five-game winning streak, but standing in their way is a road trip to face Bard and Vosser College on Friday and Saturday. On the pitch, the men's and women's soccer team face a bunch of Knights. The Clarkson Knights, that is, as the men travel and the women play the host role in a pair of Liberty League matchups on Saturday. And lastly, the football team will have a week to try and build off their first win as they find themselves in the midst of a 14-day break between games. Now I'd like to introduce senior Kayla Groman from the women's volleyball team. Kayla, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. Just kind of going over uh, the recent success the women's volleyball team has had. You've got you're on a five-game winning streak. What has been the difference from the beginning of the season to um, after winning all the games so far? If there's been any change in the team or practicing? Yeah, I think just kind of our mentality changed. I mean, we started off with, like, our opening tournament was in Colorado. We faced multiple, like, highly ranked teams there so we started off kind of on a low note but then we kind of turned it around for practice and said like this is the kind of competition we want to start playing so we need to all like kind of gather on and like team up together and really start playing together as a team and that's kind of been the difference is everyone's been really active in practices and everyone's been hustling 24 7 so I think that just finally settling in with that mentality and everyone um, really understanding their role has been a huge difference especially this past weekend it was very evident so I think that contributed to our success a lot. So this weekend you'll be playing your first Liberty League conference game Uh, so what do you guys anticipate from that being from uh, going from Empire 8 to Liberty League now? Yeah so it's a big difference um, as far as competition I mean the Empire 8 really um, was good competition for us but Liberty League's even tougher for us as well so we're just kind of hoping to take it one game at a time. And, you know, we have two big ones this weekend, so we're just trying to take it one game at a time and hopefully come out on top so then we can, you know, host the Liberty League championships and really just make an impact on as our first time in that league. Um, have you guys played um, Liberty League uh, opponents in the past? Yeah, so we um, – the one that sticks out the most for us is Clarkson. Um, so we – my sophomore year, that's who um, ended our season, was in the second round of NCAAs. We lost to Clarkson. Um, and actually our former – or our new head coach is from Clarkson. So they're kind of our big um, rivals, I would say, in the Liberty League. And we've played a few others here and there, I want to say. But Clarkson's been the big one that we're kind of 
getting ready and amped up to play. Of course, this weekend we have Bard and Vassar who are going to be just as tough. Um, but we just got to treat our competition as every person counts. So last year I uh, covered high school volleyball, and I asked 10 different coaches what they thought the most underrated position was on the court. And 8 out of the 10 all said the libero. So you strike me as too humble to necessarily say that yourself, but for the people listening who maybe don't know volleyball as well, in general, what does the libero position do play to play? Yeah, so the libero is the person in the different colored jersey, which is why a lot of people kind of always ask or recognize them. Um, And their job is just to be the best defensive player out there. The reason they're in the jersey is because they kind of get a special role and they get to play back row permanently. So they never go up and hit to the net, but they get to stay in for five rotations, which is very rare. And they're the only ones that can actually do that. Um, So they're in charge of the defense. They basically take command as far as serve receive goes. And they're just, yeah, the big passers. They dig balls and do their best there, yeah. So you guys play a really long season, and when I was looking at your bio from last year, it said that you played all 33 games, 118 sets. This year, you play 31 games in 61 days, and that doesn't even include any postseason or tournament play that you guys have later on. How do you keep your body in good enough shape to not play throughout the week most of the time and then play multiple times on Friday and Saturday? Yeah, so our team came in really good shape this um preseason so that helped loads that we didn't have to kind of work on conditioning we could get right to playing Um, but then as far as like during season we kind of we lift twice a week so we still kind of keep our muscle and we're still in shape that way and then we just um, we're normally off practice on Mondays just to kind of recover and let our bodies rest and then people just do a really good job we have great athletic trainers that um, can take care of us so if people do have injuries they normally um go in during the day and have to get like treatment or do different stretches or different work out their body in those ways so that's a lot of it and then I mean like the competition kind of helps the adrenaline go so it is odd that we only play for two hours during the week every day but um, once the competition hits it's a whole different thing and you're so excited to play against someone that's not your teammates anymore and like new players so that's a lot of why um, it's different on the weekends and it's we can stay in shape and keep our bodies healthy is a lot of the stretching and training and then also like being able to weight lift that's a huge thing that not a lot of um, d3 programs have so and our practices are short but condensed but we get a lot of good reps so you talk to any player any coach and they'll talk about communication being one of if not the most important thing in volleyball as a libero you just described a very important position how do you factor into the communication part on the court yeah so i try i'm still really getting used to it but i try mostly to um, talk to the hitters, so tell them what's open or um, where they could block better, like if they were drifting. So just like a lot of technical things. Um, and that's like also like kind of like when the ball isn't necessarily in the air. So it's like if they missed up, messed up on a point, just kind of saying like, oh, you were drifting or like technical stuff, feedback that way. Um, and then during the play, it's a lot of just like verbal encouragement for people hustling after balls or like, again, when a hitter's going up, telling them line, cross, tip it, like stuff like that. Um, and then as far as serve receive, just talking who has what ball and making sure that, you know, there's not one that falls in between two people, but saying like, you have it or I got it or someone's specific name is very helpful. So just try, trying to talk as much as possible so someone is out there communicating because it is a huge part of the sport. We're now going to transition to national sports and joining the conversation now is Brett Mayerson from VIC Radio and the Mayo and Monk Show. Thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. So, uh, first topic, so the Dallas Cowboys defeated the Giants in week one, 19-3 at their home stadium. Then this past week, they lost to the Broncos on the road, 42-17. to And this Sunday, 
this Monday night, they're going up against the Cardinals. Should the Cowboys be concerned for their season? Brett, we're going to start with you. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I'm not just saying this because I'm a Giants fan. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Broncos have one of the best defenses in the league. The Cowboys clearly don't. They have a lot of injuries on their side. Um, when you have such a banged-up secondary, it's really hard to kind of not allow that many points. When you have a team like Denver, especially, who has one of the best secondaries in the entire league, who's not allowing any points, they only allowed 17. I mean, I think it's a statement to say when you also have a high-scoring offense like Arizona, who has all the weapons in the world, I think it's. I think it might actually be a huge loss for the Cowboys this coming Monday. Well, to answer your question, should they be concerned? Yes. But Cowboys fans right now aren't concerned, which is something I find laughable. I talked to many Cowboys fans this week, and they blamed the Lightning, injuries that did and didn't happen, any, anything other than the actual team's performance. And the reality is everybody deserves blame. Dak, Zeke, the coach, Jason Garrett, every single person deserves blame because what they did so well in their first season together was sticking to their game plan no matter what happened, even if they got down, which is death by a thousand paper cuts, five-yard run, five-yard run, seven-yard pass over and over and over again. They got down, they didn't stick to it, and to some degree, possibly going forward, maybe even got exposed. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, I, a Cowboys fan, be, I mean, not being concerned, I mean, of course they're going to say they're not concerned. When you have one of the best young quarterbacks and one of the best running backs in the entire league, you, you're never concerned, and also the best offensive line. But th- it's, I think it's kind of like they're so used to what they had last year with all that success, it's that they feel like nothing's changed. Even though you look at the defensive side of the ball, almost everything's changed. So if, if I was a Cowboys fan, I would feel the exact same way. I would think nothing's changed. So that's why I, would, I wouldn't be concerned. But I really don't think weather had anything to do with it this weekend because like you've seen teams come out of weather delays, especially like in Tampa Bay. There's always some kind of lightning delay there every season because it's Florida. So they always come out and they still play the same. So why shouldn't Dallas? Oh, I, I completely <laughs> I, I completely agree. It just comes with the whiny cowboy fan nation, so to speak. It's, it's going to be interesting, too. This is Dak and Zeke's really first ever bad loss. They lost to the Giants twice last year, but they were close games. They lost to the Eagles at the end of last season, but they literally kind of sort of tried at that when they put Tony Romo back in in that game. So now, Dak and Zeke, young kids, it sounds cliche, but sometimes cliches are cliches for a reason. How do you respond to your first adver- how do you respond to the first adversity? I mean, you just I think you kind of just you kind of just forget about it. I mean, what you're supposed to do is after a loss, you're supposed to take what you learned and move on and to take what you learned and use that to get better. So, moving right along from football, we're going to move into baseball. So, on last week's episode, we talked a lot about the uh, Red Sox using the Apple Watches to steal signs from the Yankees when they played them back in August. Uh, so, this past week on Friday, MLB commissioner Rob Manfred announced Um, a fine to the Boston Red Sox for the use of the Apple Watches. And they also, there was also a fine for the Yankees um, for using a Yes Network camera to steal signs from a previous season. These fines were not announced. Uh, We don't know how much they were fined for. Um, But Manfred also gave a warning to the other 30 teams of the MLB and a quote, that future violations of this type will be subject to more serious sanctions, including the possible loss of a draft pick. So, Brett, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on the penalty by Rob Manfred? I'll start with the penalty on the Red Sox. Yeah. The penalty on the Red Sox should be more severe. First of all, in my opinion, if he's not disclosing the amount of money, that means it's not a lot of money. So that's a little embarrassing on Major League Baseball's part. But I honestly think that their manager, John Farrell, should be fired because he knew they were doing it and he didn't do anything about it. So if you know your team is cheating and he might have initiated it, 
because maybe he was wearing an Apple Watch as well. Everyone is nowadays. If he knew they were doing it, then he should be suspended. Not for, maybe not for the remainder of the season, but maybe for the rest of this regular season. There's not much left. There's only a few weeks. He should be suspended for these last few weeks because he knew what was going on. He encouraged I, it. I literally, I could not d- disagree further. This has been a part of baseball since 1951. But you don't do it with technology. Doing it with technology is crossing a line. It is by the statement <laughs> of the rule, but the Yankees were doing it too. Everybody does this. Everybody does this. It's a part of winning. It's a part of what makes Boston so successful as sports. Let's just face it, is that they cheat a lot. No, the Patriots do it too. Everybody, <laughs> ev- everybody cheats. Some people get caught. And baseball knows this is a joke. They said, okay, we're going to fine you, but we're just going to donate it to hurricane relief. And oh yeah, by the way, while we're at it, we're just going to warn every single team that they shouldn't do this. Because we know everybody does do it. The Yankees got, got what they deserve too. Because they tried to be petty and blame the Red Sox when they know everybody was doing it. So now in return, baseball says, okay, we're going to penalize you too. But if you look into it, there was not as much proof that the Yankees actually did it than what the Red Sox did. The, Yan- the Red Sox were all wearing Apple Watches on their wrist and looking at it every second of the game. If you're a Yankees fan, or if you're someone or a TVR major at the college, you're thinking about it this way. How could they actually use one single camera to steal signs? Do you know how much work that is? That's a lot. That's a lot of work. So good for the Red Sox. They found a more effective way. No, but that's a lot of work, which means there's not a lot of proof to back that up. So obviously, they someone accused them. Ba- so, someone probably they and it was obviously from a previous season. I think if it's a previous season, honestly, at this point, just let it go. It's from last year. Let it go. They haven't so done th- it th- since. Why can't the Yankees let go of something that's been done since 1951? But because it's because the Red Sox were doing it during a game and looking at their wrist, so, it was so, so blatantly the obvious. Everything was so blatantly Behind obvious. Behind the scenes, baseball knows what's going on. That's why they said we don't need the proof, Yankees. We're gonna give you a fine anyway. That's why they said to all the clubs, this will be dealt with more seriously. Let's move on to basketball. Season's coming up relatively quickly, and Kyrie Irving made an appearance on ESPN's First Take, and he was asked about if he told LeBron before informing the team of his trade request. His answer, quote, no, why would I have to? Brett, do you have a problem with those comments by Kyrie? No, not at all. He he, I mean, he clearly, I think there was definitely a problem with him and LeBron James' relationship and chemistry because clearly they weren't getting along the whole entire time. Yes, they won a championship together and that was great, but I think that when LeBron came back to Cleveland, Kyrie kind of was like, oh crap, because he used to be the star and now he was no longer the star. So I think that he kind of just got a little frustrated and LeBron kind of LeBron is also he's the captain, star player, general manager and probably part owner of that team. So I think that Gary Irving just got really frustrated and he just figured why should I tell them it like it's his it's his decision. It's his decision. He doesn't have to tell anybody. He can tell any other friend on the team. LeBron James leaves te- LeBron James leaves cities all the time. He doesn't tell anybody he's leaving. I think now Kyrie is going to get what he wants and he's now going to be the star He's going to be the guy. He's going to be, exactly. Think about it too. Sports is a business. If you have Kyrie Irving and LeBron James on the same team, obviously it's going to clash. So getting rid of one and making them the star of another team, that's just going to boost sales. So It's also going to make the league better. Exactly. <laughs> maybe hopefully we won't have, you know, the same teams in the NBA Finals for the fourth year in a row. I mean, three is enough. And Kayla, I'm curious, as being part of a team, when these issues come up between players, and I think this happens on, from what I've seen, every team, eventually there's, there's drama, there's conflict, there's something along those lines. How, does, how do you, how does any experience you've had, how do you guys try and handle that when teammates cr- clearly have a problem with each other? 
in the stages of group development, um, storming is like inevitable in any group. So when you know everyone does it, so it's just kind of addressing the problem right away and making sure like if it's between two teammates that they talk it out because the last thing you want is people picking sides. And in this situation, it sounds like honestly that maybe was the problem is that they clearly didn't get along. No one figured it out. So the other guy out of or Kyrie out of um, disrespect almost just said, you know what, screw you, I'm gonna leave. And that clearly just speaks volumes to maybe why they couldn't pull through in the championship because they were clearly not doing well and not agreeing. So, like, the biggest thing is just you got to nip it in the bud. And, yeah, you might not like who you're playing with or who you're alongside with, but, like, they're your teammate. And at the end of the day, like, you you know, it is business, but, like, you're doing the sport because you love it and you need to find a way to overcome it. And hopefully it doesn't come down to, like, having to leave the team or quit or whatever, but you just hope that you can find a happy middle ground or a good way to – confront it and then get over it. And I think the reason they couldn't nip it in the bud, so to speak, with this situation is Kyrie Irving's just not mature enough to do that. I mean, he's just not. His comments the other day were, were baffling to me. I mean, he said in one breath, quote, I just wanted to be in an environment where I felt like I could be taught every single day. He then later said, literally 30 seconds later, that he doesn't have a problem with Cleveland. So if you just said cryptically you have a problem with Cleveland and then 30 seconds later say you don't, I question your maturity. I question your ability to deal with that man-to-man, quote-unquote. And I'm sick of him continuously, and LeBron does this too, speaking cryptically. He suggests that something suggests that something, but doesn't actually say what the problem is. And finally, at the end of this interview, we saw him start to do that by saying, quote, I'm saying that the overall attention to one player in a collective is blasphemy. Clearly indicating that LeBron James had too much personal attention from the Cleveland coaching staff. There's finally some honesty, and I question if Kyrie Irving used more honesty face-to-face with LeBron if they could have figured this out. Instead, Kyrie continues to put ego first ahead of winning, and now we see the results of that. Something we do see very publicly is Kevin Durant and his issues with his former team when a follower of his on Twitter said, and I quote, Man, I respect the hell out of you, but give me one legitimate reason for leaving OKC other than getting a championship. He then responded by saying, and then again, this is Kevin Durant responding, he didn't like the organization or playing for Billy Donovan. His roster wasn't that good. It was just him and Russ. Now there's been reports that Kevin Durant has other social media accounts just to respond to quote-unquote haters. Since then, very recently, Kevin Durant responded to these allegations by saying, quote, I haven't slept in two days, two nights. I haven't ate. I feel so pissed at myself, and I'm mad that I brought someone into it. I mean, athletes on social media, it's, it's become a big thing, especially professional and ev- just everybody on social media in general, and kind of tie this in a little bit to uh, athletics here at Ithaca with social media and, like, uh, if there's any – Kayla, is there anything, like, with the volleyball team, if there's any been anything with, like, dealing with criticism, like, social media, if there's been any problems with social media on, like, the team or – No, um, we've been – I mean – not that I know of anyways like we I mean as far as like the athletic community like we're all very um good about what we put on social media like no one you know no swearing no like nothing bad that would um kind of they always say you're wearing your jersey so we always try to make sure we're friendly to other teams like we you know it's a whole community so we try not to bash each other and no one really outreaches to us to kind of say anything negative towards us either so far so it hasn't really happened where we would have to um give a comment back or do anything in that yeah. light. So, ba- like, basically, 
your personal branding yourself, you're branding toward IC, you're representing the college and the athletic department and what IC stands for. So putting something out there can affect everything. Mm-hmm. And even like, like even for like the recruiting process as well. Um, recently I wrote an article about, you know, have being a social, being on social media and being an athlete and being recruited and what to look for, what not to look for. And I talked with the men's assistant lacrosse coach and he said, the first thing I do when I get a recruit is I go directly, I go to, directly to Google, I Google their name and I put the word lacrosse after it. First thing that'll come up, he said, is you know, highlight reels of everything. The third or fourth thing is their social media. It could go really bad. I mean, yeah, it can go really bad or it can be really good. It could look like a decently great person who follows sports teams and is really respectful, or it could look like rap, rap lyrics. You, you really don't know. So I think with Kevin Durant and most athletes, they really should be careful what they put online. You are representing, as Kevin Durant, you're representing the NBA. Any other person, you represent ESPN, the NFL, the MLB, whatever you're posting on social media, you have to be careful what you're putting out there, whether you're a professional or not. So <laughs> our last and final topic. So tonight is the WNBA uh, championship game between the Los Angeles Sparks and the Minnesota Lynx. This is the second year in a row these two teams have met. It's being shown on ESPN2. Who knew about this game before? No one. I thought the I thought the WNBA season was over that it was starting like next month. Well, I, I didn't I didn't think it was going on now. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is the problem. This we're seeing how ESPN is they're not talking about the WNBA. So what does this mean for? What does this say about ESPN and their coverage of women's sports if they're not publicly saying, "Hey, this game is on tonight"? By the way, that's crazy. I didn't I didn't know to be completely honest that the like finals was tonight I feel very bad now um but (laughs) it's just sad because it you know like women's sports like doesn't get a lot of hype in on ESPN or kind of in like in the world I guess it's really hard unless like the Olympics are around them people care about certain different sports and like they only get popular because of the Olympics but it's sad that you know women's sports aren't as popular and aren't as watched on TV or advertised and I don't know how that can be changed but you just got you know as a female athlete you got to prove that your sport's just as entertaining to watch as you know men play you know football and all those other sports that yeah yeah I mean attention (laughs) being a softball player and having there's there is professional softball out there anyone know about it no nobody talks about it nobody says anything doesn't get televised it's literally like a live stream and you just have to like follow twitter and follow the league and be like hey this game's gonna be live streamed on so-and-so website you don't find it on the you don't find it on ESPN at eight o'clock. No, you find football. You find baseball. You don't find these women the women's sports. The fact that ESPN is not doing a very good job of their coverage of women's sports kind of bothers me a little bit. And I don't know. This is just this is just another prime example of ESPN not doing what I feel they should be doing. Well, I, th- I think it's time personally to stop blaming companies like ESPN and turn to the consumer, because if the consumer of these products, sports fans cared and showed they cared as much about women's sports compared to men's sports, it would change. And do I wish and hope that eventually one day women's sports will become as popular or nearing as popular as men's sports? Yes. Why they aren't currently goes back literally 100 years. But it's time to start turning to the consumer because this was on ABC. The WNBA was on ABC for their all-star game. It was down 20%. 
if you're ESPN, you then have to look at that and say, it's not a smart decision for us to have this on ESPN1, quote-unquote. It might not even be smart for us to have it on ESPN2. So if I'm the WNBA, I'm saying, wow, at this point, because of how bad of a job we're doing marketing our sports, we're lucky to be on ESPN2. Because from a ratings perspective, a football show on ESPN2 would get better ratings. A baseball show in today's day and age might get better ratings. An NBA show would get better ratings at that same time slot, which they could do. And they could put on for a very cheap amount in terms of money in a studio that they already have with talent that they already have. So do I wish eventually that this would change one day? Yes, but I think it's time to start blaming ourselves. I mean, I, I think I might agree with you there, but I do have to kind of agree. I do have to also kind of put a little bit of blame on – it's not really ESPN. If you think about it, it's Disney. They're the ones who own ESPN. So I think it's also kind of their fault. I mean, you think about it, I mean, I've seen one commercial for the WNBA playoffs. I've seen one. When the NBA comes around, how many do you say? Like, a million. Like a million. <laughs> yeah. I've seen one. And, and, like, it was a pretty, like, hyping commercial because, like, it shows, like, the most talented players, like Brittany Griner, who I loved watching when she was a college player. I think the only time women's basketball is even popular is during the NCAA tournament. But that's because everyone wants to watch, U- everyone wants to watch UConn. So that's a whole different thing. Like, again, like, it's like what Sam said earlier about softball. Like, it gets popular one time during the year, women's basketball with college, with the NCAA tournament, and after that, it's dead. And it's really unfortunate because the WNBA – I mean, you, we do have to blame the consumer because no one wants to watch it, but there are people who go to these games. There are some cities in the WNBA that that's the only team they have. Yeah, I mean, I completely get it. ESPN is a business. Sports is a business. I completely get that. But I feel like they need to do a much, much better job of this because there are so many people that I know that are going to school to play softball. They go to school in college and they play and then they're done. Girls who are starting to play and they want to play in college in certain sports, they're like, well, there's no professional league for me, or there is, but it's not going to do me any good after college. So why bother playing in college? Yeah, I mean, that's I mean that's like what you said, Sam. That's, that's the mentality of a lot of female athletes now. I mean, like right across the street, we have one of the best women's ice hockey teams in the country at Cornell. I don't think a lot of people know that. Besides some of us here at Ithaca, a lot of us might not know that. But these people afterwards, they're either playing overseas, getting no recognition, or they're not playing at all. So that's like the last stitch they have. And I'm sure a lot of athletes, it also goes, it's not just for basketball, like we said earlier. It's for softball, basketball, hockey, soccer. The NWSL, which is the women's version of Major League Soccer, gets almost no coverage on the ESPN, only when there's a really good highlight from a player that's on the U.S. women's national team. All right. So... Thank you to our guests, Kayla Groman and Brett Marison, for a great discussion on today's episode. Um, Brett also has his uh, BIC radio show, if you want to talk about that and promote it a little bit. Yeah, actually, yeah, we just started this year. It's the Mayo and Monk Show. It's myself and Christian Monk on BIC radio, 8 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. Tune in via Facebook Live. Like us on Facebook at the Mayo and Monk Show or follow us on Twitter. Thank you for having me and uh, come to our home game September 30th. We have one at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. If you want to hear more, as always, catch us every Thursday for new episodes and make sure to follow us on SoundCloud to never miss a new episode. I'm Samantha Cavalli. I'm Nick Friend. And you've been listening to How I See Sports.